The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 138. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make himself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Enterprise episode, Silent Enemy. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very good. So, uh, folks, if you have not yet done so, please subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or on the SQPN YouTube channel where you should hit the bell to make sure you get notifications. So this is a first season episode for Enterprise. We're working our way through Enterprise still. And this is uh, the 11th episode of the first season. And the basic plot is, well... In in my notes, I have Star Trek Silent Enemy slash Night of the Living Padding or <laughs> How to Kill Half an Episode Without Giving the Characters Anything Meaningful to Do. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, the- so the the ship is attacked by an unknown alien uh, starship. Uh, they have to install the phase cannons that they didn't install back at the shipyard. And we have to figure out what Malcolm Reed's favorite food is for his surprise birthday dinner. Mm. And that's pretty much yeah. it, right? See you next <laughs> week, guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only interesting part is the actual enemy slash putting together the phase cannons. Well, which took I, a whole 10 minutes out of this 40 minute episode. So what the thing I was, I was when I was trying to figure out why they did this is I feel like they wanted to kind of have have a moment where Archer's mindset changes, his mindset about being out there, his mindset about exploring, to show that that he has become much more cautious, um, wary of the, of the dangers that they've encountered, less bright eyed and optimistic, and a little more wary and cynical about the dangers that they're facing out there uh, that's the best i can come up with for why they well, did this and of course you got to have the character development of malcolm of something how you know how do you take literally a blank slate character and actually give him character development right because right. we know nothing about him i mean he's he's the one character we had nothing on at this point right on and on the character level i think those are both you know things that were part of their thinking in this episode on the concept level it was what if we meet an alien race that's so different we can't understand them at all you know right. we never we never are able to figure them out and talk to them i like that yeah except they they, they i like mm. that idea it's a great idea you know what if there were aliens that thought like cats Right. You yeah. know, that they come around, they kind of want stuff at some times, but they behave entirely <laughs> unpredictably and won't talk to you. And they're always knocking stuff off your shelf. <laughs> yeah. Or what if there were aliens that behaved like monkeys, you know, that just, they, yeah, okay, they have, 
maybe they have some biological processes in common with us, like eating and sleeping and things like that, but they're you just can't relate to them. Right. You know, they don't don't think like humans. And that's a neat concept. Unfortunately, they then undercut it in the execution in this episode because right. the aliens end up talking to us even if it's by doing a remix of Captain Archer's own transmissions. They talk to us in perfectly intelligible syllables just using them out of a recording of Archer's mouth. Mm-hmm. Right. They deep faked him. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Primitive deep fake. Yes, yes. I mean, that's the thing is, I I also kind of like the idea of ne- we never learn the aliens' intentions, what they're really about. I like holding that yeah. back. And, and Yeah, and, but, but they tell us their intentions. You are defenseless. Prepare to surrender your ship. <laughs> right, right. Right. But uh, why okay, are they so, hostile? Yeah, but yeah, and and what do they expect to happen if we did surrender the ship? You know, obviously right. we're going to get to know them a lot better then. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, just they they obviously want ongoing relations if they plan on taking over our ship. <laughs> I, yeah, it, it. I think it's interesting how in Enterprise they were they always often wanted to en- emphasize how underpowered or under uh, under strength we are. Com- yeah, compared to all the other species, that kind of goes away as we get to TNG. Although there's still species that are stronger, you know, they still encounter mm. stronger species. But that's it's really a big deal in this one, like the how uh, the the the, uh, the plucky humans out in the, among the stars, among the, the the stronger species. But we make our way, you know, uh, yeah. out there. Well, that's that's where I wrote down. It's a typical plot of coming together to defeat an overwhelming enemy who's already defeated us once. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. That's that's. I a mean, this nice is, and this is trope. this is really a typical <laughs> plot. This is a trope that you see all the time. It's even in Spider-Man comics. Spider-Man yeah. encounters the villain he hasn't seen in a while. The villain initially surprises him with some new ability or tactic and defeats him. Spider-Man goes home and figures something out. Comes back and beats him up. Yep. Right. I mean, you see that actually in a lot of different comic book superheroes. Right. It's a very common theme, isn't it? One of the other things you get is a lot of talk about relationships. We also get lack thereof. Yep. You've Tucker gets a Dear John letter from the the girl who is not interested in... Natalie from Pensacola. Who yep. is apparently not interested in hanging around while Tucker flits among the stars for months or years or whatever. Uh, the you By also the way, have, this, is, this is a yeah. little bit... This is a little bit... I mean, on the one hand, it is realistic, but Tucker's talking about how... You know how they say long-distance relationships never work. Well, except when they do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And there are lots of people who, for work reasons, go off and aren't seen by their families for extended period of time. So like people who work on cruise ships. Yes. They'll be out for months and months and months and months and months and only see their families briefly. Yeah. And in, oh, gee, here in America, we have something like that. It's called the military. Right. Yes. Where people go on deployment and they maintain their relationships despite that. Well, it, it, yeah. I mean, it's obviously it's a it's a standard trope. It's something again you, it, that's it's always been. Oh yeah, long distance relationships never work, you know. And it, it doesn't matter whether right. it's you're you're on a you know naval ship at sea or on a starship, you know, out somewhere else, yeah. you know. It, it's it's just and it's easy. But you know, the funny part is until you mentioned this whole line, I completely forgot that was even part of this episode. That's how completely mm-hmm. none <laughs> none right. Has no mo- meaning to the entire episode that Trip right. just got dumped, you know. Yeah, it has no long term effects, really. 
And the long-term relationships never work line is what you say to yourself when your long-term relationship didn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. So we do learn more about Reed, we, as you mentioned. Uh, we, it's Slowly and, and painfully. Yes. We meet his parents, uh, his disappointed dad, who is you know, disappointed he didn't stay in the Navy, the British Uns- Navy. Unsympathetic father trope. Yes. Yep. Uh, he, he went off into the stars. Uh, it's kind of a strange, like, uh, how dare you leave, you know, the Royal... Because apparently on Earth, we're at peace. So I'm not sure what the Royal Navy does anymore on, on Earth. Like, we, there's, probably about like the same Earth is at the, peace. The, 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 probably about the same thing the British Royals do. Nothing. <laughs> right. So I'm not, I'm not sure why, like, why there's even a, a British Royal Navy on Earth anymore, except maybe teaching pirates. Uh, but Historical reenactment. Very valuable <laughs> educational function. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. It's like the USS Constitution in the Navy's oldest commission warship. You know, it's a historical. <laughs> the and we do we find out that Malcolm is a, kind of this very practical character. He doesn't have he he eats whatever's put in front of him. He doesn't have favorites. He doesn't make requests. And he must have been the easiest kid ever. Let me just tell you, <laughs> he just kind of sat in the corner no. up until yeah. that betray the Navy thing. Yeah. 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 Right. So and so the reason that we're trying to find out what his food, favorite food is is because Captain Archer knows his birthday's coming up in a couple of days and wants to surprise him with his favorite food. Yeah. And okay, father, you were in the military. <laughs> How plausible is it to you that the captain of a vessel would be planning birthday surprises for his juniors and actually ordering one of the juniors to take time away from valuable duties to make it their personal mission to find out what his favorite food is so that it can be served to him at this event instead of just getting him a cake I, yeah, let, let's just let's just put it away that's that's the longest rhetorical question i've ever heard <laughs> you know that, like we would we would go we would do like birthday get-togethers where we would you know, like for lunch, we'd go out as as an office. You know, of course, I worked in a, like an actual office environment in the military. And so we would go out and have, you know, a birthday luncheon or something like that, where it was just mm-hmm. basically we went out to a local restaurant and had a meal. And that was it. Yeah. It wasn't this big elaborate, oh, my OIC is planning this, you know, big celebration for one particular member of the crew or something like that. You right. know, so, I mean, this, this, is, this is one of these where Starfleet's not a military, don't you know? Yeah, you have to ask someone who maybe was in the Coast Guard because, frankly, this this Starfleet reminds me a lot of the Coast Guard. uh, In that sense, they don't see themselves as a military per se, although they have military capabilities, except when they do. Except when, right? And so I kind of feel like it's a lot like that. But even I don't, even I don't see this in the Coast Guard. Well, and the other thing that gets me is, all right, uh, Hoshi's special mission probably might have been put aside or canceled. When you were attacked by aliens who are overwhelmingly superior yeah. to you, and now we're yeah. all hands on deck trying to, you know, save our lives. Your comm officer is probably best served trying to figure out how to, you know, establish communications <laughs> right. with an alien that wants to blast you out of the sky. Now, Just here's me. some, yeah, here's something interesting about Hoshi. I I realized in this episode, Hoshi is an introvert doing an extrovert's job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. if you you see what what she's she does not like having to, you know go out of her comfort zone and talk to like strangers <laughs> and she's a communicator she's a communications officer so i i kind of felt bad for her having to to do this thing because i would have hated it but uh 
So. I felt bad for all the actors. <laughs> <laughs> one one sort of positive thing, and this isn't something that they were planning at the time, but the whole, I mean, Archer flat out says, we don't know much about Malcolm. Right. Mm-hmm. At one point. And, and, okay, that actually fits with the backstory they later establish for him, which yes. is that he was in Section 31. And right. And so he would be a secretive guy. Yes. That's exactly the kind of person that, you know, the kind of person who never makes trouble, like it just eats whatever's put in front of him by their parents, never makes trouble, but never discloses anything either. That's, that is the kind of person you'd want as a secret agent, even though that I can't fully credit them that because they weren't planning that at this time. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, you can go back and, you know, look back and sort of retcon lots of behaviors from him. I almost wonder that with after this episode, just watching this episode, it's like, I wonder if they decided to throw that whole secret agent part in because we have nothing else interesting to do with this character. <laughs> he sits there and shoots missiles. That's yeah. all he does. Yeah. And, and if you're going to create a backstory, you know, one with a little more color in it than just he eats whatever we put in front of him. Yeah. You know, that's not the best backstory yeah. to establish. The interesting thing about this character is there's nothing interesting about him. Well, we get interesting. They have been able to get an interesting story for Mayweather. They get an interesting story for Tucker, Archer. Even Hoshi has some backstory, not a lot, but she yeah. gets some. Oh, and Flocks and, and T'Pol get interesting backstories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't understand why they couldn't do more with Reed. Like, I mean... I suppose the Section 31 thing was an attempt to do, you know, a late yeah. attempt to do that. But yeah, it was, it seems a little too little too late. One of the things I, I liked, there was actually one little line when Archer and Tucker were talking. He says, you missed T'Pol's latest bout with chopsticks. Oh, dinner and a show. Yeah, that was I just, good. Yeah. Was good I, I did like that one. That was a good line. You um, know, now can we, can we talk about the major regulations violation though in this episode oh i hippo was to that yeah. yeah hippo was like majorly violated <laughs> oh that one. Oh, okay there's another major one. no that's that's the more serious one of any of them yeah no. <laughs> yeah the violation of his medical records yes to find out that he he has an allergy and that he takes something in order to eat his favorite food uh yeah. therefore yeah that was a big yeah. violation of his privacy yeah, I, I, I was I was pleased on that one. As soon as as soon as Flocks realized what what I mean, Hoshi had come to him and asked, "So can you give me any help?" And he's like, "Nope, I've eaten with him a lot, but he likes all these different foods. I can't tell you which one is his favorite." Mm-hmm. And then as she's walking out the door, he goes, "Bromelain," and I said, "Pineapple." <laughs> <laughs> I suppose if you if if you're taking something in order to allow you to you know to overcome an allergy in order to eat it, you must really like that thing that you that you yeah. can't eat. Yeah. So, yeah. Although Flocks did say that it may not be his favorite food, so we preserved our dramatic tension there till the end of the episode. And right. since nothing's writing on this, let's spoil it now. Yes, he does like pineapple. Yes. And <laughs> I was I was glad they didn't go for the comedy ending where it's like at the very end of the episode, now that we've defeated the aliens, ups, it turns out it wasn't his favorite food after all. Yeah, yeah that would have you know, that that so been, that that <laughs> been annoying. But they didn't do it. We have a genuinely nice moment at the end where he's going, it's my favorite. How did you know? Right. So what was the other regulation that they, they broke? Oh, well, so, and this is like, so the first half of this episode is all meaningless running around with Hoshi trying to find out his favorite mm-hmm. food with a couple of encounters with the aliens thrown in. 
mm-hmm. and they at one point scan slash sort of attack the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They use a some kind of sonic thing that ma- over a vacuum that somehow <laughs> makes everyone have a headache, and then while well, it's turned on, and then we're told they were scanned, and then as they fly by, they they do kind of a warning shot thing. They're not seriously trying to hurt the Enterprise. Right. And they zoom off. And after that, that's when Archer says, let's go back to Earth, because we Mm -hmm. had to leave early because of the diplomatic crisis with the Klingons, and so we don't have all of our systems installed. We need to get these phase cannons installed. And Malcolm and Trip want to install them right now rather than go back to Earth. But Archer is very insistent, no, we're going to go back to Jupiter Station. We're going to let them do it properly. We're not going to fake this thing out here. And it's kind of kind of time we grew up mm-hmm. a little bit. Right. And that's, and, and that's all fine. So Archer leaves. He's given his orders. And then immediately Malcolm and Trip go insubordinate. And they gather their crew, and the, their two crews, and they say, listen— we're going to install these phase cannons out here, despite what the captain said. And I don't want the Jupiter Station boys to have to do anything but give us a, wa- a wash and a wax when we get back. Uh, and there, I'm sorry, but I mean, Archer did authorize them to make preparations yeah. to make it mm. easier for the Jupiter Station crew. Right. But that's not the same thing as do the Jupiter Station crew's job for it. Right. And this is just majorly insubordinate. I mean, again, father, military experience. Yeah. You know, how do, uh, how how would how would you expect it to play out if a commanding officer over the objections of his juniors said, "We're going to go back to shipyard and have a refit." Mm-hmm. And then they go ahead and do a field refit anyway, and when they get back to the shipyard, it's like, "Oh, Guess what? It's already done. How well would that play? Yeah, out? that that, that there, there yeah. would be some very irate people involved in that one. I'm pretty sure. That's true. You yeah know, the, the the line is we could at least begin the work, get a few things started for Jupiter Station it, to cut down the time yeah. you'll have to spend in space yep. docks. So right. yeah, I and guess. get get a, get a few things started is different than finish everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're out. Th- th- well, this is one of the things. So they've been out there six months. How long is it going to take them to get back? Unless they're like spiraling away from Earth, like like an exp- and then mm-hmm. now they're going to take a direct route back. Is like they there was this idea that it's only going to take a few days to get back instead of a couple of weeks. Months? I thought it was yeah. yeah. Also, I, I I don't think they've been spiraling, but I think they've been taking an an a, kind of aimless course away okay. from Earth, going one and, way and then another. And okay. of course, you know, you got to stop at every little you know quasar and. Nebula comet. and comet, yeah, abandoned colony, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, in the first half of this episode, we learn another interesting medical fact about Malcolm. He apparently has a very serious underlying medical condition that, frankly, should have disqualified him from Starfleet work, much less security work, because his sister tells Hoshi that once he did a week-long fast with nothing but water and a little bit of apple juice. And at the end of this one-week fast, he was so weak he could barely get out of bed. I'm sorry, that's a serious indication of a very grave underlying medical condition if you can't do a week fast and and not be able to hardly get out of bed. (laughs) Right, right, right. 
Uh, as, probably, as you know well. <laughs> yeah, you you got to remember, this was written by people who probably haven't done, uh, you know, like an afternoon fast. Well, yeah. the, so, the, the closest they come to fasting is like a, a juice power fast uh, recommended by they, some Beverly Hills <laughs> doctor. They did a cleanse. A cleanse, yes. A, a juice Which cleanse. Which will still be a $2,000, a 2,000 calorie a day juice fast. But, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> we also get to Paul at one point in, again, we're in the first half of the episode has a very interesting suggestion after Hoshi has been racking up a big uh, wall of fail trophies on the find out his secret food <laughs> yep. mission, um, which is, why don't you ask him yourself, you know, just directly. Right. And so she sort of does that, but completely botches it. And we have this incredibly uncomfortable scene very. in the mess hall where she's trying to find out his secret, his favorite food without just asking and, you know, she's trying to dress it up in terms of, hey, why don't I make dinner for us? What's your favorite food? Except it comes across repeatedly like she's asking him for a date. Yep. <laughs> yes. And and he turns her down politely, and she's not even realizing what he's thinking until the very end, at which point she gets embarrassed and leaves. And But she's so insistent. There's no other way to take this than I'm I've I've got the hots for you. I'm interested. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's just incredibly uncomfortable. And I just felt bad for the actors having to say this ridiculous dialogue, ridiculous, emotionally clueless dialogue. Mm. And I also was being distracted by the fact I have a much better solution. Check his replicator logs. (laughs) Well, do they? You know, they don't. Do they have? Well, they have those. They have those. They they're not full replicators, but they have yeah automats. Right. So check what he's been eating. Check what he's been eating. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So this this episode was written by Andre Bormanis, who started on Next Gen as the science consultant and ended up Mm -hmm. becoming a regular writer. Is comes these relationship things kind of come across? I hate to say, kind of come across as a physicist writing relationship stories. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry to all the physicists out there, but, but like <laughs> this is just this is not how people. It, uh, yeah, it was. It was. I felt bad for Reed. I felt bad for Hoshi. Like that was a terrible situation. If I were her, I would have gone back to the, the captain and said, "Look, I am uncomfortable, and if you make me do this, I'm going to file an HR complaint." <laughs> against yeah. you mm-hmm. for, for making me in, the, in in this this weird situation this is not my mm-hmm. job it, it, yeah that was that was not good and it's directed by winrick colby who's one of the best star trek directors although yeah but that doesn't i mean that, that'll right. affect line reading and camera angles mm-hmm. and cutting but it's not going to affect the script i i think this is also his last episode of star trek ever directed and <laughs> now we mm-hmm. may know why yeah. <laughs> I wonder, you know, they had 26 episodes in season one. I just wonder if this was just a filler episode. It's like, we've got a couple yeah. of slots to fill. What can we throw in this one? Yeah. Oh, let's yeah. do a Malcolm's favorite food. Done. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean. Well, and, and we've killed, at this point, half of the episode. And finally, the aliens come back and actually board the ship, and we get to see them for one whole scene. Yes. Yep. Well, because they're it. CGI, which was they're hard C- then. CGI. Yeah. It, which was hard. And it's not bad CGI. I mean, they, they don't look like the ordinary forehead bump aliens. Right. I mean, they are, they are humanoid, but the proportions of their limbs are different. Their bodily motion is different. It's you can tell it's CGI, but it's it's decent, you know, mm-hmm. for the time. And I mean, heck, I watch Doctor Who. I don't have a problem with cardboard sets. It's that they tried. 
Right. And they did try here. And so I that works great. They come on board the ship. They they stun and scan and injure a couple of officers. And we have a little bit of alien wannabe, you know, Ridley Scott's alien wannabe where we're running yes. through corridors that are mm-hmm. darkened for some reason. Yes. And the ship is adrift and they chase them off the ship and stuff. And that's fine. And And finally, we have an interesting scene. It is halfway through the episode. You know, the first entire half of this is yes. nothing but padding. Right. Then the aliens, as a parting shot, they they damage one of the nacelles, so the Enterprise loses both warp and impulse power. And I find it interesting that they can't go to warp without two functioning nacelles. That's well, kind of interesting. No, I I buy that because well, I, I know I Aer- know about, airplanes, about how they, they, well airplanes can fly with one engine. The uh, nacelles create a warp bubble, and that's why there are two because they create a balance. Uh, there's a whole yeah, there's, there's a whole thing that they've created for it. But yeah, th- th- there's a reason in, within the show's mythology for why they need both nacelles and why there's only ever two. At uh, least when, uh, well, except in some of the spinoff media and yeah. and things, well, but yeah, on screen it's always two I, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, Until although there the was one with, with three. one, right? And there's there's a, I can't remember the class, but there's a class of ship that has just one. The scout yeah. one, yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, oh, that's a whole nother tangent for me to go down. I'm way into that stuff. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the Franz Joseph Star Trek en- uh, Enterprise manual, technical manual was. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. I still have that somewhere around here. I uh, have it on my shelf right here. <laughs> yes, that's I, awesome. I, I love that mm-hmm. stuff. Anyway, uh, well, that that's the kind of one of the things that bugged me is like the aliens come over in a shuttlecraft and open the. The pod bay doors, like Hal doesn't even have to open it; they just open it for them. You know, like like how, how did how did they get the doors to open and close? <laughs> like, uh, the, how are they in control of the ship? They they, they, it, they found the the remote control frequency. Yes, they have the garage door opener for the the pod bay doors, and then yeah, and then they leave behind this device that messes with the power system or whatever that has five hundred megajoules running through it. So what does Archer do? He shoots it. <laughs> like boom goodbye enterprise that's my reaction yeah that's my reaction <laughs> i i did like though that he turned on to because it's it's plugged into their systems it's hacking their wi-fi and right he turns to turns to what he knows is a camera and gives him this speech about you know you think you've left us helpless but i'm going to tell you about humans we will do whatever it takes get lost and he yeah. zaps their he zaps their wi-fi sniffer mm-hmm. right yes uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, which and, and that was okay. That but, was okay. And then that's the footage yeah. that the aliens do the mashup of to get you are completely helpless. Surrender your ship now, or yep. yeah. And I did like that the the decision to show the the video from the point of view of the aliens, like so we're yeah, seeing it on good. their monitor, yep. which is a Winrick Colby uh, decision, obviously, to do that. Mm-hmm. But so I like that that bit. I mean, there's there are little bits to like about this, but it was just. I didn't hate the episode, but it was kind of like at the end of it, I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> it was kind of blah. There was nothing. It was an episode. It was nothing really yeah. happens. Nothing really changes by the end of it. It wasn't as aggressively bad as uh, A Night in Sick Bay, which <laughs> yes. is vastly worse. Oh. Yes. But there was just a lot of ick in it uh, and just a lot of boring stuff in it. Yeah. The or not, not exactly boring, but just inconsequential and paint by numbers. Right. Yeah. That's really what this episode felt like was a giant paint by numbers set. Well, you had the whole issue of 
you know, they're installing the phase cannons and Malcolm wants to use right off the impulse engines. And right. of course, Tucker's, I, you know, I'm the chief engineer, blah, blah, blah. You should have asked me about this. And then of course, he has a change of heart says, you know what? I think this will actually work. Right. Yeah. So we have this artificial conflict between Trip and Malcolm, and they still haven't told the captain about their plan. Yeah. Although apparently they did at some point because Archer seems to know about it later on. Because they test it. Yeah. They they end up yeah. w- wanting to test it on an uninhabited yeah. planet. And and there they have their own Castle Bravo test, which is which was kind of fun to see. <laughs> <laughs> Castle Bravo was a 1954 H-bomb test that the U.S. did, and they thought they knew exactly how big that the fireball, that the explosion was going to be, and they planned accordingly, but they didn't realize that lithium-7 would actually produce more tritium than they were expecting, and so by some estimates, the blast was actually three times bigger Uh than what they had (laughs) planned for. (laughs) And... And things didn't go entirely well that day, and we're not actually sure how big the blast was because it destroyed the testing equipment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where, where was the test? Was this one in the Pacific or was this in Nevada? Yes, this is in, this is in the Pacific. Oh, okay. Just Google Castle Bravo. It'll come up. And so they have yeah. their own little Castle Bravo here where they test it, just take a couple of meters off of that mountain on the dead planet asteroid thing and like, boom, the whole crater is destroyed. <laughs> Mount McKinley, Mount Denali now yeah. just got yeah. vaporized. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's an interesting idea that he that running it through the uh, impulse engines, because that's something that ends up in, was that... Uh, TOS or Next Gen, they they come up with the same idea again to run the... Oh, that's in the the motion picture because when they go to shoot the asteroid that gets stuck in the wormhole with them, they can't because the... They're no, belay <laughs> that phaser order. Yeah, right, oh, right. right. That was the uh, the order was the... They couldn't do it because of the engines uh, running. Well, it, that's it, funny. Yeah, that one was the one where the, it, all the power comes from the warp drive. Isn't that where all the power on the ship comes from? <laughs> well, I mean, unless isn't you that have the impulse engines. The whole purpose of the you know the dilithium chamber and all that is to produce all the power for the ship. I, I guess, yeah. So anyway, uh, is there anything left to really say about this? I mean, they they defeat the aliens, of course. Never find out what their intentions were, other than to destroy them. Uh, well, why no, they no, were no. hostile? Take, take them over. Take right. Take them over. Capture the ship. And of course, yeah. we never see them again. Ever, ever, ever again. <laughs> right. They don't even uh, get a name. Yeah. So I like how they subtly reveal that Dr. Phlox apparently is re- I mean, we know he likes food because he hangs out in the mess hall all the time. Yes. But he's also apparently really into cooking because if you look around Sick Bay, he has all of these giant foot tall bottles of food coloring all over <laughs> the place. I mean, he's oh, got yeah. the giant red food coloring bottles, the giant <laughs> blue food coloring bottles. He's just really into baking. Well, or maybe he likes uh, Italian coffee and it's Tarani syrup for <laughs> There you go. <laughs> or weird Romulan ales. Anyway, I think we've uh, I think we've exhausted the uh, this episode. Uh, I feel exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Having to talk about it. So, uh let's uh, if anything left to say, anything to Father nope. Corey? It was an episode. It was an episode. All right. <laughs> Uh, well, I do what I want to say. I'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Stephen B, Charlotte L, Valerian S, Michael H, and Mark F. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at Starquest. 
You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of Silent Enemy? Do you have a better opinion of it than we do? Was there more there that we missed? <laughs> Please let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we're back to discussing Discovery, but not the third season. We've already done that. We're going to be talking back to the second half of the first season, the Mirror Universe half of the first season, the first episode of that called Despite Yourself. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, medically speaking, there's no accounting for taste.